This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us are fascinated with the ins and outs of trading. I would love to know how we should get in on the money. However... It looks a bit difficult and daunting, and some of the services provided to teach you, we don't trust them. We're not trying to get finesse out of our socks. However, have no fear because we have Demo Balling for you. They provide exclusive private subscription services for people interested in trading the Forex markets. That's for those that don't know, that's foreign currencies. You can make a quite a bit of money if you know what you're doing, and Demo Balling are the perfect platform to help you with that. So, for like stuff like order flow, technical analysis, market analysis, Micro and macroeconomic fundamentals, live trading sessions, trading psychology. They all sound like Arabic to you, but trust me, it will make sense. So the best place to find out even more information is going to demoballing.com. So that's demo-ballin.com. Also check them out on Twitter, at demoballin, and on Insta, at, dem- at demoballin. And if you do um, contact them, let them know that I sent you so they can make me advertise them all. So we, it's win-win for all of us. Hello and welcome back to episode 24 of the Dishonomics podcast. Big shout out to everybody who listened to the previous one, episode 23, with regards to the financial crisis a decade ago. I think it's important to listen to that podcast so you understand what happened, why it happened, the impacts, because as you all know, our economy hasn't been the same for the last decade or so. So check that out if you haven't. But speaking of our economy, Brexit, Brexit, Brexit. Um, I'm sure as you may, as you may, well, as you should know, last year in June, I think it was June 26th, around that time period, the UK voted marginally in favour of leaving the European Union. For whatever reason, that's a discussion for another day. But the Brexit process is now in full swing. Within the next few years, things will be looking rather differently from how we've had it for decades. The Brexit process is in full swing, and I think it's very important that we follow this process. Why? Because if you look at the referendum last year, plenty of people were missold. Some people were thought that Brexit meant all the migrants had to go, which is obviously not true. Some people thought that Brexit meant we're going to get an extra £300 million per week for NHS, which is obviously a lie. Brexit meant this, Brexit meant that. It's very important for us to actually follow the process so that way we don't buy dreams sold by any of the parties or pressure groups or whatnot. So I think it's very important because what happens in Brexit is going to affect us one way or another, maybe directly or indirectly. Okay, so what, is the, what next? Well, we're looking to come out in March 2019. 
when you think about it, we're towards the end of 2017. So it's not really that far away. We're looking at 18 months to be leaving the EU. So, despite all the process, you have the Georgina Millers of this world and whatnot, we will be leaving the common and single market. So, there's been a few rounds discussing how this is going to come about. So, in a June round, they decided what the process is and the broad issues around it. And in the July round, was mainly around the UK and EU citizens' rights post-Brexit. There has been some progress made, but there's still a substantial way to go in terms of like getting to a common ground. The United Kingdom wants to guarantee the rights of EU's nationals within its shores. And almost simultaneously, the EU wants to guarantee rights of UK nationals within their shores, unless they move to another state. So let's say, for example, you're Brit living in Spain. You can stay there, no wahala. But if you're trying to skirt out to Belgium, you won't be under the same rules as it was before the Brexit process. Both sides have also mutually agreed they don't want to see a disruption in the process of trade because it's mutually beneficial for the UK to trade with the EU and vice versa. In August, there's discussions um, scheduled around mutual mutual recognition of professional qualifications, which is actually a progressive step from the previous arrangement, obviously with the UK being the European Union. So that means stuff like if you're Italian uh, accountant, you have Italian um, accountancy qualification, it should be should it be recognised in the UK? Should it be recognised in Spain? And same thing if you're a lawyer practice in France, should your qualification be recognised in the UK or Greece or what have you not? So that is actually quite a progressive um, step. Also, discussion of economic rights, property tenancy, what happens with bank accounts, etc. Also, of course, there's a big, big discussion between the technical analysis of social security provisions. So that sounds like a lot of blurb, but really it's just what's going to go on with benefits for people who are, let's say, in the UK living in the um, EU and vice versa. Access, basically, access to benefits in relation to free movement of people. And this is quite ironic because if you look at Spain, there's more than one million Brits living in Spain. That's almost half the population of, of um, Birmingham. And the funny thing is, they are, in fact, a net benefit to Spain. Same way EU migrants are a net benefit to UK here. Because if you think about those um, Brits living in Spain... Their own properties in Spain, they have bar. They have like um, they don't. They if they ever need to use stuff like healthcare, they'll fly back to the UK. So, but not really using the Spanish um, public services, but they're also spending money in Spain and, and whatnot. So they turn out to be a benefit, and obviously Spain won't try and lose that. Now, there's two different types of like bureaucratic papers. I know this sounds very dull, but unfortunately, we need to know this stuff. So we need to know what's what our government is doing, headed up by some geezer called David Davis. Okay, they're strategy papers, which is mainly around the UK's plan with the Republic and Northern Ireland. They've had, like, a common trade agreement for many years, but obviously there's concerns around the border area, obviously, with um, what's happened in the previous years. So that's a, a relatively big issue, and it's Ireland's biggest issue right now. There's also issues around availability of goods um, in, the UK, in the UK, the UK and EU. And an opportunity for us to discuss the flow of goods. So what's going to happen with uh, textiles um, and all that type of stuff being imported and exported, etc. And also, what access to official documents would the UK have post-Brexit? So, like, would they have information with, that pertains to terrorism or whatnot? 
those in EU are, are also concerned about this because the Brits have a high reputation of having one of the best spy systems in the world. So they will definitely want to have access to MI5 and Scotland Yards, etc. as information with terrorism and all that type of stuff there. And then there's another thing called relationship papers. And these are very significant. So far, the UK's view is to approach everything at once. They want to discuss everything that's going to happen right away at once because, as I said, March 19 is around the corner. The EU want to discuss certain things first. So, okay, cool. If we can make a breakthrough with this, then we could go and start talking about next stuff. But until then, we ain't trying to have that. Especially and some of the things at the forefront of the EU's tongue, or the tip of the EU's tongue, as the cliche says, is how much money the UK might owe, man. So... They're basically like, listen, listen, dog. Man, I ain't trying to hear about anything else until you run me the piece. So that's what quite a few countries are kind of pushing right now. The UK are, of course, worried about this because they know the timetable's tight. You have a two-year Brexit period where you can negotiate your exit and it's now August 2017, March 19, is around the corner. The custom union is an issue. We can remain in, we can remain there in the interim, but we have to negotiate. And the reason why this is an issue is because, of course, the UK is leaving the single market. They're leaving the EU, so we're not part of that EU trading block. But the problem is, we're trying to finesse deals with other countries, with the Indies of the world, the Chinas, the USA, etc. However, if you're part of the custom union, you can you cannot and you are prohibited from negotiating third-party trade agreements with next countries. So basically, if you're in the EU, you can't be going to China so Yoji like... What kind of trade negotiations you man are on? You can't do that. Well, this is bad for the UK because within by March 19, we're going to be out of the custom union and we're going to need some trade deals. So they're trying to politic their way through that. Despite my early reservations and many people's early reservations, the process has been actually mutually respectful. And this week, um, another of those relationship papers will be published and it's, they're already were discussing it earlier on this week. Well, last week, by the time you listen to this. David Davis, who of course, is the man who's pilot on the thing. He was calling for that interim t- uh, period of two, three years to help businesses, etc. But the European Commission and trade experts were like, You're, this is a bit jazz because at the end of the day, there's going to be a big change no matter what. So yeah, you might try to stop the big change now, but come March 2019, it's going to be a massive change anyway. So we better get things popping as soon as possible. Now, the next stage of the process is in October, which is in a couple months. The European Council is going to be a European Council summit. So this is where all the EU leaders will make decisions if, if talks have made enough progress for us to progress to the next stage. As, remember, as I said before, they were like, unless we make progress on these things, we ain't chatting about next things. If this goes wrong and they don't believe that enough progress was made, it's an on-top situation, meaning that it's not good, everything's higgy hag up because that will further delay the Brexit process and we do simply do not have the time for any sorts of bumps in the road. And of course, if that happens, there'll be a inc- massive increase in hostility. David Davis, Theresa May and co, they'll be very, very aggrieved by this because obviously it's messing with the process and that will make the negotiations even harder because if both parties are coming from a place of hostility, it's harder to find a common ground. These are effectively discussions in, more, in a more formal sense of what happens in the EU. But however, I have relatively relative optimism that they will think progress enough progress has been made because it's in both parties' best interest, really, but probably more in our best interest. Now, with a bit more of like analysis on how this affects everything and how the negotiation process is going to work, 
from obviously my place of work, we have um, a very, very good um, political consultant team. And they're saying that this government is by far in their history of working the most open government to lobbying in terms of from businesses. So this is a very unique opportunity for businesses to lobby the government to say, yeah, 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 because we're going to have our own rules. We're going to import what we want from the EU. We're going to get rid of what we don't want and and put in our own European law. I mean, not our own European, our own domestic law, which which pertains to business and stuff like that. So this is a very, very good opportunity for businesses to lobby, to say, yeah, okay, cool, we want this to happen or X, Y, and Z, which is, of course, a good thing for businesses, especially big business, because big business are more likely to have a further influential swing and sway in terms of lobbying as compared to small businesses. So that's essentially a good thing if you're a business owner. In terms of what's going to happen with the negotiation period from negotiation period, the negotiation process from the EU, we got to remember that, okay, with us, we're just one small country. Well, we've got a few countries in, the, in Britain negotiating with kind of like a quite common goal. The people on the back benches on the Tory party aren't really trying to disrupt the process because they know this is a bit more important that you the Tories can't afford to mess this up. However, if you've got the EU, that's 27 countries with different interests. So let me go through a bit of the different interests. So for example, you've got the pig, na- the pig nations. And that's, if, you take our, our, if you take Ireland out because they have their own unique interests as it pertains to the border, border control between Ireland and Northern Ireland, if you're looking at Portugal, Italy, Greece, Spain, they don't really care for Brexit. Apart from maybe Spain, because they've got quite a lot of Brits there, but they don't really care for Brexit because economic stability is their most important priority. Then you look at France. France have just elected a new um, a new geezer, Macron. His biggest his biggest issue is reforming the economy in France, and he's got to take on the trade unions and whatnot. So that is probably his biggest priority. And then you look at. Um, some of the Baltic states, places like Poland, they are more concerned with free movement because one of like places like Poland's biggest uh, biggest exports is people. They're having their members of their country go to places like the UK, and the UK. The reason why quite a lot of um, East European nations that joined the European Union quite late are in UK in comparison to other countries is because. We didn't kind of like impose like a two, three year like kind of like grace period where we're sorting everything out. We only certain amount of people come in. We were like, Psh, you might roll through. So they're concerned about that because obviously if there's no free labour migration, that will affect Poland greatly. Whereas Germans, they don't really care about that. So you've got France going one way, Germany going one way, Greece, Spain, Italy, Portugal one way, Poland going one way. And then you probably have like the the Netherlands, etc., with different points of view, who they may be on the, the next on the Brexit list, not Brexit list, and European Union exit list. You can see there's there's several layers in the European Union, which may be all pulling in different ways. So the negotiation period is going to be very, very tricky. As it pertains, I'm saying pertains quite a lot today, as it pertains to the UK's ability to do deals outside of the European Union, if we look at America, we've got, we've got a very, very big link. We have 1 million people working in American companies in the UK. Then we have similarly, and similarly, we have 1 million Americans working in British companies. So there's a very big, very, very big link there. We have $1 trillion 
coming from the US to the UK and vice versa. So the link up is big. So we will have deals. You've, you've even heard Donald Trump willing to push the deal through before we've even left the European Union, which will obviously piss off many people. I'm not sure if he can do that, but you know Trump out here, he don't give a damn about absolutely nothing. But yes, we could definitely make deals with the UK, with the US. But the the most important question is, what will the quality of these deals be? How significant will these deals be? How much of an impact will these deals have? And I'm not sure that they'll be quite significant because at the end of the day, trade is about having things that are mutually beneficial. And I'm not sure if the UK has that much more to offer than the US has to offer us. You get me? And just to further emphasise about my Trump point, this is not even gas. Like, apparently Trump's people have told ambassadors that they're willing to do a deal before the UA, before we go a deal with the U, EU. Like, as I said, Trump don't business, fam. And with regards to how it will affect us, the everyday consumer, in terms of we're talking about trade, leaving the EU can be good for consumers if we drop tariffs. For example, if we drop tariffs with the US, US are so good at electronic goods. So that's your fridges or or any all that type of stuff. If we if we don't have tariffs in the US, we will have cheaper and cheaper goods coming to our economy, which would be good for us because we're saving money when we're spending our money on on a monthly basis. But then again, that would be bad for small businesses as well as big businesses that export because you have to compete with these new cheaper goods and services. We are like, but to be fair, we're probably going to subsidise. And subsidise is when the government agrees to like help out businesses. So let's say you're selling butter, the government will say, "Don't worry, do you know what? We will just buy five hundred thousand units of butter just to help you out." Type of thing. So the gov the government is likely to subsidise, especially in agriculture. But I'm not really too sure if we will reduce tariffs. And uh, businesses worldwide are kind of worried that UK law might be as tough, if not tougher, than EU law. Like, they're worried that Brits might, the, the British um, lawmakers, lawmakers might be like, OK, cool, we need to show that we're not just going to be some willy-nilly trade, free trade market fool. We're going to show that we're tough and we're not doing nonsense. I'm not too sure about that, but that's one of the concerns from businesses globally. So, yeah, in short, that's what's going to happen next or what could potentially happen next. I'm going to try to do like a Brexit update like every month. I'll probably try to get some people to join to offer alternative opinions. But yeah, any more questions, email me at hello at dissonomics.com. Tweet me at dissonomics. Follow on SoundCloud, just www.soundcloud.com forward slash dissonomics. And subscribe and please write a review on iTunes. But yeah, thank you for listening and God bless. Tighten up, flip this money, then we stack it up. Burning bridges, niggas acting up. She on my body like I'm tied up. I ain't seen nobody bad as her. I ain't seen nobody bad as hers. I'ma get this money, I'ma grab it up. I've been stacking, I've been stacking, just wait till I tighten up. Tighten up, flip this money, then we stack it up. Burning bridges, niggas acting up. She on my body like I'm tied up. I ain't seen nobody bad as her. I ain't seen nobody bad as hers. I'ma get this money, I'ma grab it up. Sports Social Podcast Network.